1: Moses led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses! Moses!
0: Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, New Living Translation. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay, and today on Anchored by Truth, we're continuing our latest study series brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We've labeled this series, but what about? Because a lot of time you hear questions like, but what about angels and demons? Or, what about heaven and hell? A lot of questions that people have about the Christian faith occur because Christianity has a supernatural dimension as well as a natural one. This can be confusing to people who have not studied Christianity carefully. Some people believe in what they can see and hear, but they discount the supernatural entirely. Others embrace the supernatural so completely they lose sight of the proper relationship between the natural and the supernatural. We wanted to do episodes on several of these subjects to see what the Bible actually has to say about them. I'm in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., last time we took a look at what the Bible has to say about demons and Satan, but today you want to take a look at a term that can often be confusing to people, the angel of the Lord. Right?
2: Right. Right. But before we get started again today, I just want to say a word of greeting to all the Anchored by Truth listeners, and I'd like to say a word of thanks for joining us here today. We know that you're here because you care about the Bible. You really want to know what the Bible has to say, and if we prompt you to go and get the Bible out for yourself and study and look and see what it has to say, well, that's the whole purpose of Anchored by Truth, is to encourage people, to help people, to connect more closely with the Bible for themselves. It's incumbent on all of us to become personally familiar with Scripture and to make it a part of our own lives. Well, we are going to talk about the angel of the Lord today, and this is frankly one of the most challenging topics that's in the Bible. It's challenging to study. It's frankly challenging to look and see how it fits into the overall plan of salvation. But I think we can learn a lot by looking at the angel of the Lord. I think that really helps open a bigger door for us and it increases our understanding of the overall picture of redemption. How so? Well, many, although not all, commentators see the various references in the Bible to the figure known as the Angel of the Lord as referring to a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. For instance, the New Geneva Study Bible puts it this way, In certain instances at least, the angel of the Lord is in some sense God acting as his own messenger and is commonly seen as a pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son. Well, if this view is true, and I personally believe that it is, then what that shows us is that God the Son, very early in the Bible, at times, took on the role of an angel. Now, after the incarnation, after Jesus' birth, Obviously, the Son of God at that point had taken on a human nature. So, this is a really fascinating picture. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, at times, prior to his incarnation, chose to appear to human beings as an angel. But after the incarnation, after Jesus had adopted his human nature, he is always seen as a human being. But we have to remember that at all times, God the Son is fully divine.
0: Wow, that's enough to start to give you a brain freeze. This means that studying the Angel of the Lord is sort of a mini-course in all kinds of major biblical doctrines and themes. There's a lot there to unpack. So where do you want to get started?
2: Well, I think we might, for this occasion, just need to start with a brief review of some basic biblical doctrines. Christians believe that there is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons. In other words, God is one what, but three who. God is one in nature, but three in person. Well, the second person of the Trinity is a single person, but in a mysterious fashion that we can't comprehend completely, that one person has two natures. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine and in the famous words of the chalcedonian creed and i'm paraphrasing here jesus is both fully human and fully divine without mixture or confusion separation or division and each nature of jesus retains its own attributes now those concepts alone are hard enough to begin to comprehend. But now, of course, we have to throw this whole business of the appearances of the angel of the Lord into the mix.
0: Angels are the second type of intelligent personal beings that God created. There are some similarities between men and angels. Angels each have their own personality and are able to exercise freedom of will. Angels experience intellectual emotion and curiosity, and they are able to comprehend the difference between good and evil, and they can interact with each other and with human beings. Angels differ from people, though. Angels normally inhabit the spiritual realm, although apparently they can cross the boundary between the physical and the spiritual when necessary. Angels were created fully formed. They do not age or die, and there are no gender distinctions between angels, though there are distinctions of hierarchy and type.
2: Yes. So the first thing to note about the angel of the Lord is that the only appearances of the angel of the Lord are in the Old Testament. There are no appearances of the angel of the Lord in the New Testament.
0: Or, just to be thoroughly clear, the angel of the Lord does not appear in Scripture after the Incarnation, after Jesus' birth, right?
2: Right. And most of the references to the angel of the Lord appear fairly early in the Old Testament. They're either somewhere in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, or the book of Joshua or Judges, which immediately follow the Pentateuch. Now, there is one reference to the angel of the Lord later in the Old Testament, and that is in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. But in Zechariah's case, the angel of the Lord makes an appearance in a vision of Zacharias. This is quite different from most of the earlier appearances of the angel of the Lord, where the angel is actually appearing as a being in contact with a human being in an earthly setting.
0: So, let's look at the distinction a little bit more. The first reported appearance of the angel of the Lord in scripture is in Genesis chapter 16 verses 7 through 9. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, Where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. That's from the New Living Translation.
2: Yes. Hagar was the servant of Sarah, Abraham's wife. At this point in her life, Sarah hadn't had any children so she had encouraged her husband Abraham to have a child with Hagar. Now, according to the custom of that day, any child that Hagar had by Abraham would have been reckoned as Sarah's child. But once Hagar got pregnant, Hagar began to show contempt for Sarah. Sarah retaliated against this with some harsh treatment, so Hagar ran away. Now, of course, none of this was consistent with God's will, so God interceded directly to begin to restore some justice to the situation. One very well-known Bible commentator, Albert Barnes, puts it this way, The angel of the Lord either represents the Lord or presents the Lord in angelic form. The Lord manifests himself to Hagar, seemingly on account of her relationship to Abraham, but in the more distant form of an angelic visitation.
0: So, in the first encounter we have with the angel of the Lord in Scripture, the angel of the Lord appears to a distraught servant to bring to remedy an entire series of bad choices. Sarah shouldn't have encouraged Abraham to have relations with her servant girl. Hagar shouldn't have begun to despise her mistress, and Sarah shouldn't have retaliated when she had created the problem to begin with. So, to bring restoration, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar as she is fleeing. And note, the angel added his intercession by promising something that only God can promise. The angel says, quote, I will give you more descendants than you can count, unquote.
2: Exactly. And we see this same kind of pattern repeated in one of the next encounters we see with the angel of the Lord in Scripture. And in this case, we're talking about Genesis, chapter 22, verses 15 through 18.
0: Those verses say, quote, Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven, This is what the Lord says, Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me unquote.
2: And this is the famous episode where Abraham has been told to sacrifice his only son by Sarah Isaac and Abraham was about to do so but the Lord stopped Abraham at the last second Now notice that the angel of the Lord is said to call to Abraham from heaven but Abraham and Isaac are very much on the earth And so notice that again, this angel is conveying promises that only God can make, because the Bible tells us that only God can provide children to families.
0: And we should also notice that God prevented Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac, but later, God would carry through with sacrificing his only son, Jesus.
2: Exactly right. So again, we see the angel of the Lord acting on the earth to further God's plan. And in this case, what the angel of the Lord is doing is preserving, keeping alive the promised line of descent for the Messiah, because the Messiah was going to come through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the angel of the Lord is interceding to make sure that that promised line of descent continues to remain. And we continue to see this same pattern repeated as there are other appearances of the angel of the Lord. Certainly one of the most famous appearances of the angel of the Lord in scripture was Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush.
0: We heard a portion of the encounter in our opening scripture, but let's just repeat that here as a refresher. Moses came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses.
2: And again, notice that the scripture says that it was the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses in the blazing fire, but then immediately it says that it was God who was the one who called out to Moses. And later in this encounter, Moses will ask God what God's name is.
0: That's Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Again, in the New Living Translation, those verses say, But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Unquote.
2: Right. So, just to reinforce the point that we have been making... We are first told that the angel of the Lord was the one who was appearing in the blazing fire, but then we immediately find out that it is God who is doing the talking. And of course, this is one of the most important sections in all of scripture because in these verses, God reveals his personal name to Moses. Now, in ancient Hebrew, the name that God would have revealed to Moses would have been written with the consonants Y-H-W-H. Because ancient Hebrew only used consonants. They didn't have vowels in those days. Later, they added vowel points. Well, when you add the vowels to YHWH, it most commonly is known as the word Yahweh in Hebrew or Jehovah in Latin.
0: And this is a very important revelation, because with it God identifies himself by the attribute of his self-existence. The ATS Bible Dictionary puts it this way, quote, It denotes the self-existence, independence, immutability, and the infinite fullness of the divine being,
2: So it is very significant that in this one portion of the scripture we see that the angel of the Lord is identified immediately afterward as God himself. So of course the question becomes, how can we understand this juxtaposition, the identification of God so quickly with the angel of the Lord? obviously one very clear and distinct possibility is to recognize that in delivering this very important message to Moses, God chose to eliminate all intermediaries and do it directly from a member of the triune Godhead. Well, the most likely member who would have done that is the second person of the triune Godhead. And of course, that second person would later come to earth physically as the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that second person, of course, we most commonly Jesus.
0: Well, let's be sure that everyone is aware of what we're talking about. In the earliest parts of Scripture, Genesis and Exodus, God found it necessary to occasionally intervene directly in the affairs of one of his servants to ensure that his plans either stayed on track or were put back on track. The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar because Hagar was significant in the life of Abraham. Obviously, keeping Isaac alive was significant to the plan of salvation. In Moses' case, God was going to use Moses to free his chosen people from bondage in Egypt. This was both necessary physically to return the Jews to their promised land, but also as a forerunner of what would happen in Jesus' life. So the angel of the Lord is essentially acting as an instrument of the Lord's plans to ensure they stay on track.
2: Exactly. So, let's skip forward a little. After Moses led the Hebrews through the desert, he died then Joshua was the one who actually led the Hebrews into the promised land, into the land that they would occupy. So to strengthen Joshua for the task that lay ahead of him, a slightly mysterious figure appears to Joshua just as the Hebrews are beginning their conquest of Canaan. And scripture describes this figure as the commander of the Lord's army. But again, most commentators identify this figure, the commander of the Lord's army, as a Christophany. And it is this figure, the commander of the Lord's army, who gave Joshua the specific instructions for how to defeat the city of Jericho.
0: A theophany is a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. A Christophany is a manifestation of Christ to human senses other than when Jesus was physically present on earth. Many commentators will use the term Christophany to refer to a visible appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, because obviously at that time, Jesus was not yet born.
2: Yes. So, if this is a Christophany, and again, I believe that it is, then this is also a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity on the earth. And by the way, this is the only time in scripture that that specific title, Commander of the Lord's Armies, is used for Jesus.
0: But the term, Angel of the Lord, will be used a few more times in the book of Judges and a couple of times in the books of Kings and Chronicles. Just as a refresher, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is immediately followed by the book of Joshua, and Joshua is immediately followed by Judges. So, as we mentioned earlier, most of these references occur very early in the Scriptures.
2: Yes. So all of these references to either the angel of the Lord or the commander of the Lord's armies, they all tell us something very important. Which is? That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was very active in the plan of salvation long before he adopted a human nature and was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And this is important for us to understand for a couple of reasons. First, it reinforces the eternality of Jesus. You know, Scripture makes reference to the eternality of Jesus, but we can have a tendency to let it slip our minds. We see
0: Christ's eternality as part of the triune Godhead in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Quote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Unquote. That's from the New International Version.
2: Right. And there are other places in Scripture, such as Colossians 1.16, that make the same point. But while we may intellectually comprehend the fact that the second person of the Trinity is eternal, we may not always remember that that second person of the Trinity has always been active in directing the progress of the plan of salvation. But of course he was now certainly jesus's most visible role in the bible in the plan of salvation is in the gospels because the gospels record his earthly life his ministry his death and his resurrection so we see jesus most visibly in the bible in the gospels but it would be an error to think that jesus's role in our salvation did not start until he was born on this earth jesus's role in our salvation began long before even before, as the Bible puts it, the foundation of the world.
0: Well, this observation points out the need for us to read and become familiar with the entire Bible. There are no appearances of the angel of the Lord or the commander of the Lord's armies in the New Testament. There are some Christians who think that they can gain all they need to know about the Christian faith from the New Testament. But this study on the angel of the Lord points out the fallacy in that view. We cannot have a truly comprehensive view of the role of Jesus played in our salvation if we don't go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Again, those appearances of the angel of the Lord are in the very first books of the Bible.
2: And that's a great observation. So, another point we need to keep in mind is that Christ, acting as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, but he doesn't do so in the New Testament. It helps us see the unity of Scripture and the coherence of the Christian faith. Now, of course, all the members of the Trinity have all always been active in creation and redemption. But each of the members of the Trinity has always played their own role in this grand cosmic drama. And in their actions as the individual persons, they always complement one another. And they complement one another to achieve a single purpose. But they never step on each other. They always act in perfect harmony. What they are always doing is keeping the plan of salvation moving forward, moving toward the goal of saving the elect.
0: I see what you're saying. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was chosen to be the person who would assume a human nature. Then, because he retained his divine nature, Christ was perfectly suited to be a mediator between God and man as the books of 1 Timothy and Hebrews put it. But even before that time arrived in history of salvation, Christ was appearing at certain times and places to keep the plan on track.
2: Right. You know, the angel of the Lord appeared to some of the most important people in the Bible, such as Abraham, Moses, and David. But the angel of the Lord also appeared to ordinary people to Hagar, who is just a servant girl, and in the book of Judges, to Samson's parents, to tell them of Samson's upcoming birth. Well, in the book of Numbers, the angel of the Lord appears to a wicked prophet named Balaam when Balaam is about to make a very bad mistake. And the angel of the Lord also appeared to King David after David had committed one of his most egregious sins. Well, in the appearance of the angel of the Lord to Balaam and to King David, the angel of the Lord is shown as having a drawn sword in his hand. Well, having a drawn sword in your hand, that's a very suitable accompaniment for either preventing or correcting sin. But all of this reminds us that God and Jesus aren't just concerned with the big and important people. They're concerned with everybody. And the appearances of the angel of the Lord also show us that when God is acting, God is able to influence the course of the biggest plan in all of history, which is the redemption of God's people, But he can do it all the while he is acting in the most simple and mundane of ways, such as helping a distressed servant girl who has run away from her master because of harsh treatment.
0: So, part of what you're saying is that the scripture is very consistent as it reports the actions of God and even of the individual members of the Trinity. After God the Son assumed his human nature in Jesus, he never again appeared as the angel of the Lord. That doesn't mean he couldn't only that he didn't. The most prominent appearance of the Christophany after Jesus ascended was to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And when Paul asked who was the one appearing to him in the blindingly heavenly light, Jesus plainly stated, quote, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, unquote. That's from Acts chapter 9 verse 5. The fact that the appearance of the angel of the Lord are all in the Old Testament seems to be significant. God is a God of order. Before Jesus adopted his human nature, the angel of the Lord was an appropriate way for Jesus to reveal himself at selected times and places. After Jesus assumed his human nature, he would now possess the nature for all time. And it is Jesus, with his human nature, who is said to be seated in the place of honor at the right hand of God in heaven.
2: Right. You know, the angel of the Lord is a slightly enigmatic figure, kind of makes these appearances in the Bible from time to time, and isn't always clearly described. But the angel of the Lord is a very significant figure in Scripture. The appearances of the angel of the Lord as pre-incarnate appearances of God the Son they make perfect sense in the overall plan of redemption and salvation. Christ adopted the role of the angel of the Lord to help direct the plan of salvation before he took on his human nature. And as the angel of the Lord, Christ used whatever appearance made sense for the situation. When he wanted to get the attention of a sinner, even David, he appears with a sword. But when the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar, or to Samson's parents, there was no need for a sword. These were people who were struggling, and these were people who had a particular need. These were people who needed encouragement. They needed counseling. They needed help. When Joshua is getting ready to embark on a very significant military quest to conquer Canaan, Christ appears to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's armies. So in other words, the appearance of Christ in his pre-incarnate appearances is always suitable both for the person and the occasion. And this is just exactly what you would expect from a God who both superintends the ends of the process, but never loses sight of the means, and always expresses love for His children.
0: Well, next time, we'll turn our attention to another subject that can cause some confusion in the minds of believers, as well as unbelievers, the Holy Spirit and the role this third person of the Trinity plays in the plan of salvation and the life of Christians. This sounds like a good time for a prayer. Since there is a desperate need in our nation for the wisdom of God to light a path to truth and freedom, today let's pray a prayer for the restoration of the worship of the one true God.
1: Prayer for restoration of the worship of the one true God. Lord of destiny, God of holiness, You ordained the fate of men and nations before the cornerstone of creation was laid. You are blameless in all your acts and commands, and therefore what you ordain must come to pass. Who among men can resist your will? What you sovereignly declare will happen. We rejoice that our hope rests in the power and mercy of an almighty God, and not in lesser beings. Lord, you know far better than we, the blight that has come upon this nation. We have turned from honoring your name and seeking your will to self-exaltation and celebrating our rebellion. We cannot imagine how this must grieve you and give you justifiable cause for rebuke and reproof. We pray that you would raise up in our midst godly men and women. Who will be the leaders and teachers in a national renewal. We know that you have preserved a faithful remnant for yourself because you have assured us that the gates of hell could not prevail against your church. We praise you that Christ Jesus himself makes intercession for us while he sits at your right hand. We praise him and offer this and all prayers in his holy name. Amen.
0: We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're We're not famous, but but our our boss is. is.